It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Are you in or are you out? Tomorrow is the official launch of the UK's referendum campaign. And as we edge closer to the June 23 vote, the campaigning looks set to reach fever pitch. But what would a Brexit mean for your personal finances? And what happens to the four decades worth of EU rules that now govern our financial lives? Meanwhile, as the Panama Papers scandal trundles on, we examine the likelihood of criminal prosecutions for tax evaders. We also discuss fund managers' short-termism and their tendency to try and closely track the performance of stock markets instead of taking risks. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Naomi Rovnik, digital editor, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of special studio guest Mick McAteer of the Financial Inclusion Centre and my FT colleague, Adam Palin and columnist Daniel Godfrey. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. We can't get away from it. But beyond the politics of in or out, there is a reason private investors should care. Four decades worth of EU rules, whether you like them or not, now govern the nitty gritty of our financial lives from how we claim compensation on delayed flights to how we buy shares. I'm here with Mick McAteer, a consumer finance advocate and Brussels veteran who has served on the board of the FCA and is also a member of the European Market Regulators Financial Innovation Working Group. So Mick, what has Europe ever done for us investors? Well, I think it's very, very interesting. If you're if you are a private investor, investor or a, or a pensioner or whatever, there's a whole range of European directives and regulations which have really improved the, the quality of advice you might get. It's improved the safety of pension funds and insurance products and unit trusts and so on. And it's actually, you know, there's a whole load of regulation as well that's been brought in to make sure that markets are actually more efficient. The way shares are traded in markets is more efficient. So give me an example. I'm, I'm buying shares from my stockbroker. What's Europe doing? Well, it's mainly about the sort of the way share the trading is disclosed on markets, you know, people are more easily now able to access and understand how much share, share trading costs. And over the years as well, there's been a whole range of measures uh, around the, the disclosure that financial advisors have to tell you about their own charges and their own fees and, and so on. And fund managers, something coming and in to try and pr- pr- protect us from um, expensive funds. One of the great sort of innovations over the years is a thing called usage. You know, this is the main type of European fund, you know, investment fund, you know. And really, you know, that that, that is one of the flagship funds around the around the rest of the world. I mean, the rest of the world looks to Europe 
because of the, the USITS fund. And USITS regulations are typically quite investor-friendly. They are quite they? investor-friendly, and not just in terms of disclosure and transparency, but the basic security of your money, making sure you know your money is safe, you know, if you actually hand your money over to be invested by... So a, no Madoff-type scandals. Well, we haven't, seen, we haven't seen too many of those in, in, in Europe compared to the, compared to the States, you know, because they are legally, meant to be legally ring-fenced and, and the assets are meant to be held separately and, and so on. So there has been a range of measures, as I say, around the security of your money, the quality of the advice, the level of disclosure and transparency and, what and the way products are disclosed. You know. I mean, it's like the fences are suddenly taken away and we don't. We have to build new ones. If the UK does vote to leave, then, you know, clearly a lot, a lot of the stuff won't happen overnight. You know, we're not going to see the removal of those protections overnight. But I think it really, really depends on a couple of things here. You know, the first, a really, really important thing is how the government responds to Brexit. Because there, there are two schools of thought here. One school of thought thinks that um, the City of London is so important to the UK economy that the government would be crazy to try and jeopardise the city's reputation by reducing the level of investor protection. So there's an, uh, there's an argument really that, you know, that even if we do leave, then the government will actually protect mm. investors because the of the, must be the impact we- of the reputation on, on, on the city. But the more likely one is that uh, there, there, there are sort of many siren voices out there who are trying to argue that if we leave the European Union, then we can sort of reduce the regulations and make the city of London more competitive and cheaper and actually attract more money into even more money into London. If that but happens, then we maybe then, become a captive financial centre like Hong Kong, where yes, indeed, everything is caveat. Emptor. Absolutely right. I think I think that the, the nature of regulation, the responsibilities placed on investors, will change, and I think we will see a very very significant reduction in consumer protection. Now, obviously, you're quite pro-EU, but are there any rules that we'd be glad to get rid of? One that the financial services industry hates is gender equalisation, which means that women can't be sold cheaper motor insurance than men. It's possibly the financial services version of the straight cucumber. Any, any others we could see uh, the back of? I mean, there is, I mean, the whole straight cucumber thing is a bit of a myth, really, a Brussels myth. You know, uh, you know, people who just don't like Brussels and the, and the European Union. The interesting thing about this, the whole gender rulings and things like you know giving people a legal right of access to a bank account, is very very much comes around because the Europeans have got what they call a social justice approach to regulation. They think people should have rights to things, whereas in the UK we've we've historically tended to think that sort of it should be in the bank's gift to determine who gets a product and who doesn't. You know, I am a big fan of, of staying in the European Union because I think it actually it has benefited UK consumers considerably. I think we would lose a lot if we left the European Union. Although bankers may be pleased to see the back of the cap on their bonuses, the rest of us may have well, to be careful what look, we vote I, I, for. I think, I think there, are, there are some very sensible bankers out there and some very sensible fund managers out there who see the real benefits of staying in the, Euro- the European Union. As I mentioned, you know, there are siren, siren voices who think that the city will win that there's a view out there that that London could become like a sort of a, a very large version of Switzerland if we if we leave the European Union. I just think that's pie in the sky it would be a very reckless thing to do for the UK economy. And it will also be harder for us to claim our state pensions if we live in Spain. So we must be careful what we vote for. We now leave Britain for the balmy climes of Caribbean tax havens. In case you've not been watching any news for two weeks, you've probably now heard of the Panama Papers, a massive trove of documents that leaked out of Panama solicitors firm Mossack Fonseca, revealing that many powerful politicians and business people are using secretive offshore companies. The leaks snared prime ministers and revealed how the wealthy and powerful use tax havens to get around the law. But for those who have really evaded tax, what can authorities do to prosecute them? I'm joined by our tax specialist, Adam Palin. Adam, you've been looking into what the Panama Papers really means for evaders. Are prosecutions likely here in Britain? 
Well, the public and the media might be baying for blood, but for better or worse, uh, it's highly unlikely. The difficulty with uh, using leaked data uh, is whether it's admissible in court. It's called uh, it's so-called hearsay evidence, and where so if or- it wasn't obtained legally. Well, that's it, and also if the if it can't be directly sourced, if it's been in many hands could have been manipulated along the way we don't know if it's authentic it could be the wrong naomi rovnik um you know and so forth so that this is why actually uh over the past few years you might remember hmrc were given the so-called lagarde list details of hsbc's swiss private bank clients uh, of whom around nine thousand, almost nine thousand, were, were british tax residents now after five years there was one prosecution and there was a lot of uh political criticism but the, the reality is that HMRC were very wary of launching a load of prosecutions on the back of leaked data that they couldn't ultimately convince the court necessarily it could stand up on this basis. So, so it's a bit like somebody sends a journalist a brown o- envelope full of documents that look to be very damning to somebody, but all we can do is use it as an idea for a story. Well, it's just that, and they used it to reach settlements. They brought in an extra 135 ah. million for the Exchequer, and having spoken with quite a few people familiar with HSBC Switzerland clients, they think it'll be very similar this time round. HSRC will just use the information to set off inquiries, and then people and- might settle because they want the investigation to stop. Exactly, and and then henceforth, there's the benefit of these people being in the UK tax net. Absolutely. Now, the word offshore has gained bad associations, but of course, many of our pension funds are probably invested in vehicles such as ETFs domiciled in Luxembourg that are legitimately based offshore. So why can an offshore company be a bad thing? And what about offshore accounts? And what sort of offshore arrangements does HMRC actually deem illegal? There's nothing inherently more illegal about holding assets offshore or having an account offshore than it is you or I investing in a fund that, that is domiciled offshore. Whatever the reasons might be, in itself it is not a crime and uh, it's a, a very crude simplification to associate offshore and overseas with uh, dodgy or illegal. I mean, where it becomes illegal is where offshore accounts or trusts are used to manipulate affairs so that tax liabilities are reduced somewhat or or altogether. So when it's used to hide money. Exactly, and and that's a crime. For UK residents, uh, often having offshore accounts, offshore trusts, they're they're legacies. It's very difficult these days to set up a trust without having to explain why you're doing this because the, the, the banks, they're really unwilling to do this on a whim. They are wary about uh, falling foul of very tight regulations. Uh, so the UK could make by. it easier for redomiciling. Well, the UK government has had repeated disclosure facilities for people to regularise their affairs. The most recent large one was the Liechtenstein facility, uh, which was fundamentally to encourage people with assets in Switzerland to um, basically settle up without fear of criminal prosecution with a very limited fine and just to to come within the net. Future disclosure facilities, however, are less likely on the basis of a cross-border initiative that's starting next year called the Common Reporting Standard. HMRC will start receiving information automatically from around 90 or so other jurisdictions 
on the accounts of UK tax residents and they're hoping that the automatic flow of this information will reduce the scope and attraction of tax evasion. There are much tighter financial penalties but also civil ones like public naming and shaming and also something called the strict liability offence whereby you can't plead ignorance. If if you have evaded tax worth more than £25,000 from next year it, it will be criminal. Thanks very much, Adam. There's more in this weekend's FT Money on Brexit and your finances and on the Panama Papers, including a discussion of why most of us own offshore funds. We now turn to FT Money columnist Daniel Godfrey, who used to run fund managers trade body, the Investment Association, a job he left after campaigning for the industry to be more transparent. This week in his column, Daniel is writing about another bugbear, fund managers' obsession with short-term results and their misconception that they should only buy stocks that have enough liquidity. So, Daniel, I really like the fact that I can pull my money out of funds and shares as and when I want to, and that the managers of funds I'm invested in do the same. Isn't liquidity the basis of a well-functioning market? Well, uh, Naomi, of course you like uh, liquidity. You're a human being and you're pre-programmed to be risk-averse. You probably also like chocolate, coffee, alcohol, and many other things which may not be in your best interest to overconsume. And, of course, if you look at any of the advertisements for investing in stocks and shares funds, they'll always say you need to have a three to five or longer term view. Uh, And if you look at your own circumstances and what you're saving up for uh, when you're investing in stocks and shares, these will usually be uh, the things you dream of that you're going to be saving up for for more than five years. And of course, the big one is saving up to ensure you have a decent standard of living as you get older. And for most people, that's decades away. Now, it's lovely to have liquidity. It's lovely to be able to get your money out of things straight away. Uh, But it's just not in your best interests. If you really need to have access to money, keep it in cash. If you are saving for the long term, be in stocks and shares and don't worry so much about the short term. Now, the reason for this and the reason why it's not in your interest is that liquid assets tend to deliver a lower return over time than less liquid assets. Why is that? Well, it's because people love it. So there's demand for liquid assets and that's why... Keeps the uh, prices high. Keeps the prices higher and that's why the return tends to be lower. Um, So what you really want to do when you go into these uh, investments is is think to yourself that really you're not going to be taking your money out for many years. You therefore do not need liquidity. Now, of course course unexpected things happen and when they happen they happen at a cost and therefore selling something that is illiquid means that there's a penalty to pay fire sale prices that that the clues Mm. in the word so um, this happens but it's not worth sacrificing the return against an event that is very unlikely to happen and there's probably a happy medium between a horribly illiquid asset that a fund manager cannot get rid of and cannot value and a share that's extremely liquid like say tesco or ba There is indeed. And of course, what's happening here is that because investors and regulators love liquidity, then that's something that fund managers have to obsess about. Otherwise, they're not going to do any business. So this isn't something really where I'm trying to blame fund managers. What we're looking at here is a a problem throughout the whole chain of investment from you and your money up to the way companies behave. That's actually pretty bad for your returns, but it's also bad for the economy, GDP growth, tax revenues and all the other things we want to see. To short-term thinking. It leads to short-term thinking and, and poorer outcomes. And in your column, you say that 
investment managers are also guilty of covering their backs by tracking short-term movements in stock markets. They don't want to risk being lagging behind the average. But how else can we judge them? They can't just go crazy and decide to bet all our money on corn futures if they're a UK income fund. Well, I think it really, you're answering the, the question with your question, how else can we judge them? And it's because it's a convenient way to judge that we've ended up with this system whereby most of the money that's being managed is either now in passive funds or in actively managed funds that are simply trying to beat the index. And what we know is that it's very difficult to beat an index consistently. Yes, you can beat it some years, not beat it other years, but to beat an index consistently is very hard, particularly if you're trying to beat the index. Think about what you need over decades. What It's not beating an index. What you need is a pot of money when you get to the point at which you need the money. And I think that what we should be doing more of is trying to find investment opportunities that we think will deliver the returns we need and then actively engaging with the companies we invest in to help them be better companies and deliver better returns over long periods of time. The one thing you really should care about if you're investing long term is what we would call permanent loss of capital. It's when the value of your shares in RBS falls 90%, you ain't never getting that money back. The stock market falls 20%, well actually yes you are probably getting that money back if you're patient, if you wait a while and quite often much quicker than you think. And if most of our professional stock pickers are simply mimicking what the index does, why do we need them? They, they charge fees. Well, I wouldn't say they're just mimicking the index, what but what they're trying to do, the challenge they've been set, I believe, is the wrong premise. The challenge they've been set is to outperform the index by a bit consistently, which clearly over time will compound an, an excess return against the index. But what I'm saying is, is the index really the right starting point? I think conviction in what you're investing in is a better long-term approach. Of course, people who are not good at investing with conviction will be found out more quickly than if you're just trying not to miss the index by a little Mm. bit. I see. Thanks very much. That was Daniel Godfrey. And you can read his article online at ft.com slash money and in print on Saturday. We'd love to know what you think about Brexit, offshore companies and money matters more generally. You can get in touch via email at money at ft.com or you can tweet us at FT Money. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. Additionally, if you have a financial problem you'd like us to help you solve, email us and we'll consider it for our your questions section. There's just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue. FT Money's resident millennial Amy Williams says Airbnb is growing stale as estate agents and wannabe estate agents invade the house sharing service with their upselling techniques and unnecessary booking forms. James Pickford explains a recent spike in second charge mortgages and we also delve into generational saving after a reader wrote in asking how he could fund his two-year-old's pension. The Money Show was produced and edited in London by Adam Palin. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.